0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought Podcast. I'm your host, Brian.
1: Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, and I'm Zach.
0: Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? Or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. So, hey, uh, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening again. Uh, If you can believe it, we're already on episode 14. Uh, These are going by real quick. Um, Again, joined by Robert and Zach. Hey, guys, thanks for joining again. Hello. so i know we've had a lot of really fun topics uh can't wait to see what we have in store for this episode um if my memory serves me we're diving into acts and kind of the early church um so yeah what what do you what do you have for us
1: okay so uh to j- uh, give everyone an idea of what's to come in this episode we've talked about the early church uh in the previous session so we're going to be doing is talking about the book of Acts itself. It's the great bridge of the New Testament. The first quarter of the New Testament, you have Jesus's lifetime, his ministry, his miracles, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. And after that, you know, then what? So the last half of the New Testament is literally just the letters of the Christians after these things have happened. So you have to have something to bridge that gap between the resurrection of Christ and this new church that sprouted up, what is it about? What does it teach? What was the world's reaction to it? So the book of Acts is really unique because it's the one and only book that people would classify as history in the New Testament. The gospels kind of are, but they're really just biography. They're all about the one person. The book of Acts is unique because it's several different characters, say characters loosely, historical figures coming and going, uh, events happening on during a long stretch of time rather than just a very, very focused amount of time like in the Gospels. But what we're going to do is Zach and I are going to kind of uh, bounce back and forth. Uh, we've got four little stories for you from Acts. We just thought them over. They're not necessarily our most favorite in Acts. We can't claim that, but <laughs> ones that w- were put on our hearts at the moment and also they kind of connect with each other, um, at least uh, the two that we each chose. So we'll be bouncing uh, four stories total, two between the two of us. I'm gonna go first. Nice. Yeah, so jump into what was kind of put on my heart uh, right away was uh, one story that actually almost everyone who has studied the book of Acts any length of time knows. It's uh, the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter seven. And uh, what that story is is it, I mean, it's a key turning point for the entire story of Scripture because you've had all these things building up, um, flying through the Old Testament. You've got prophecies promising that a Savior will come into the world, and then he finally does. Christmas story happens. God himself is incarnate. He's among us. He lives his life. Um, he baffles the religious leaders. He goes to the cross. He dies. He resurrects. Now these new believers have a new power that they never knew before. The Holy Spirit has come down on everybody for the first time in biblical history because the Old Testament was very scarce with the Holy Spirit. He was there. He was always there. He only came on people who uh, the Father designated in particular that particular time, you know, David, Samson, individuals among a mass score of people who never received the Holy Spirit the way the Christians did in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes down, Is everyone power from above like never, be- no, like never before. Simon mean, Peter preaches 3,000 people are saved. Uh, the time moves on and all of a sudden, this triumphant uh, beginning to the story takes a downward turn and yet God uses it. It's one of the darkest chapters in Acts. Um, Stephen has been hit with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God himself, in full knowledge of what was about to happen, leads Stephen to preach in front of people who would be very offended by what he has to say. And there are so many possible reasons God could have chosen to have this happen in the moment, and we can dissect those for a bit. But to summarize it for people who have not heard the story, Stephen preaches, he was one of the very first deacons in the church, church's history. One of the very first deacons, he preaches the gospel from the ground up. He actually flies through Old Testament history. He took, touches on Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, all the way up to that moment. He says, you have killed the Son of God. The Son of God intended that to be for his own glory. So while you are a partaker in this act, as you killed him, you fulfilled the prophecy, and now he's among us. You must repent of that and believe on him. And Instead, they simply chose to kill him. And one thing that they used to do uh, back in the day, stoning was a very, very typical way to execute. Now, Rome alone could execute someone publicly in a court. Uh, they were the only ones who had the authority to crucify someone. Uh, the Jews would sometimes take it on themselves to uh, stone people who they had declared uh, blasphemous, and so Stephen's decrees, his teachings on Christ, are declared blasphemous by the Pharisees. What they would do is that they would take someone who was being stoned, they would drag him to the end of a high, to, uh, the end of a high place, would throw him off, and then they would begin to chuck stones at his head until he was gone. And I've heard, that, uh, heard tell that these stones were not pebbles. They weren't the things you would pick up in someone's driveway out in the boondocks. This, these were rocks were you know, scattered throughout the the Judean desert, rocks about a size, the size of your fist. It would be like throwing uh, apples and uh, oranges at people made out of pure rock. And oh. they would bash against you. They'd bash against your head, your back, your arms, your legs, and they just kept coming. It was like a pelt of hail. The middle of a storm until that person was gone. The reason that this story is so powerful in the end is, I mean, not only was Stephen willing to die, but he ignores it to nobody's glory except Jesus's. I mean, it actually says that he's being pelted, and right before he passes away, he looks up to heaven. And he declares that he is actually able to see God. Uh, the heavens have opened up; he's seeing a vision. He's saying the 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 Lord has revealed Himself to me, and I see Jesus. Standing at his right hand. And I've actually had uh, some scholars and commentators point something out that I never noticed to begin with. It's the only verse where Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. Every other time it mentions that he's sitting at the right hand of God, which it sounds like you're nitpicking words at first. But I've actually heard it said that, you know, to sit at the right hand of God is, you know, his a position where you intend to stay. Uh, it's something, you know, you're resting, you're not going to go anywhere to stand, it's a whole different Greek word, and they don't believe it was on. It was by accident. They're saying it was kind of a, a, an attempt to kind of stand up and reveal himself to Stephen and give him comfort. So he's saying that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God to reveal himself to him in these last moments to give him peace and joy. And there are so many possible reasons that, you know, God could have allowed this to happen. I talked about Zach... That with, shared that with him, you know, just moments before we started recording this. But uh, it says that a very famous man named Paul was there, and he witnessed Stephen's willingness to die. And it may have had a profound effect later on in Paul's life because he was a Christian hater who himself became a Christian later on. And we could do an entire episode on Paul, so we can save that for another time. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, uh oh boy, but Stephen's death gave direct testimony to Paul that, I mean, it's a it puts a lot of power into your message when you're willing to die for it, with nothing to gain for yourself. But it also says towards the end of the story, and I'll end the plane here and pass that to, to Zach, but the story here ends with the comment that because of the stoning of Stephen, the Christians had to separate they were all clustered together the start of the church was all in one corner of the world because of stephen's death changed the ball game now that we're dying we've got to scatter to make sure we can stay alive and rather than being just an act of cowardice it actually says that god used that in the sense that because they fled because they spread out bull was spreading along with them rather than staying in that one corner of the world they invested all that time and energy to kill that one blasphemer all they really did was spread that whole region with more blasphemers so they had the worst possible strategy to stop this message from spreading (laughs) it's kind of like when uh, something catches on fire in the kitchen it's a grease fire and you throw water on it and it spreads all over the place and it burns down the whole house rather than just your kitchen if you had left it alone a little bit longer and called the fire department. That's what they did with Stephen. They tried to squish it out, and they found out that the entire house was burning down because of what one man's testimony. But uh, I'll jump into part two later with another stoning that reflects very well the things that were said here but in a whole different angle. But now let's turn it over to Zach and his story.
2: All right, so... Moving forward, uh, historically speaking, uh, from this event that uh, um, Robert's talking about, uh, a number of years later, um, that same individual, Paul, um, goes to different areas of the world, and one of the areas that he goes to um, uh, was Ephesus. You know, he goes to Macedonia, and, and, and various other places. And um, there's one instance um, that in, in some respects is terrifying because there's these um, seven Jewish uh, uh, sons of a rabbi, excuse me, seven, um, seven uh, sons of a high priest, excuse me, and his name was Sceva. So there's there's a lot of practices of exorcism in in that day and time and whether or not they're legitimate, you know, there's you know, there's questions about that. Um there is one example written in the book of Acts that talks about the sons of Skeva. And basically what they did is they were like traveling exorcists, if you imagine uh they're maybe they're making their living doing these exorcisms, um not sure exactly, but so they come up to this one um possessed guy um and uh you know they try to say, by the power of Jesus, the power of Paul he commands you you know to come out, basically paraphrasing you know they're addressing this this man who's possessed by demons and they're saying by jesus by paul we declare you come out in other words kind of like they're kind of like trying to borrow jesus's and paul's authority over the demons and and the response to that what the demon says is one of those terrifying moments it says Jesus, I know, and then Paul, I recognize, and then he looks at the seven sons. He's like, "But who are you?" Because these were Jewish people; they didn't accept Jesus. They didn't um, leave the gospel, so they had no power on themselves. They have they had no Holy Spirit within them. It says in the script in the Book of Acts that the the possessed man leapt upon these seven others. So you think seven men against one guy. Now, those odds, you know, seven against one, there's no way that one would win, right? It says that not only did he beat them, but like he humiliated them. He ripped off their clothes, exposing their nakedness, ran off in fear and terror it just then again again um uh, 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 like magnified the name of Jesus magnified the name of Paul and basically you know terrified these local residents like how how you know, these jewish guys are trying to do something they can't do it they can't do it on their own but they're talking about this Paul Jesus who's that you know because Paul had previously came and preached the gospel And um, so basically, because of this event, because there's people who are believing the gospel and doing miracles, and then this happens, it's like a a terrible, um, I guess you could say, like, fear fell on the people. Like, they were, I wouldn't necessarily say overwhelmed, but they were just kind of like mesmerized or amazed. It had such an impact on them that many of the people who were practicing um uh, magic the magical arts at that day and time took their books took their belongings and and burned them up um in, in front of everybody so like if you can imagine like these people who were actively practicing magic and things like that believing in those things to suddenly do a a, a 180 take those things Throw those things in the fire, and and everybody, and maybe not everybody, but a lot of people in that area doing that. And I think I remember seeing the note somewhere. It said that um, in that one event, uh, accumulated uh, amount of cost, how much the basically of all the stuff that was burnt was worth, was fifty thousand pieces of silver. It doesn't say if that's a talent. They don't say if that's. Like if it's a denarius or what, necessarily what increment, but it just says a piece of silver. So 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a significant uh, amount of money that these people didn't care. They just went and burned it and said, nope, we don't want anything to do with this magic. We don't want anything to do with that. We believe Jesus and we believe this Paul guy. He's He's preached and he's done miracles and it's changed those people. It changed those lives. Um, I guarantee you the sons of Skiva probably didn't try doing any more um, uh, exorcisms after that after having themselves humiliated in public like that guarantee you that was uh, let's not do that
1: one again so uh, I come back to round two of this Um, I've got my uh, story for uh, the stoning of Stephen leading into round two Um, another stoning that can't help but see some parallels between is the stoning of Paul. Um, this actually, ironically, comes in Acts 14. I just find it ironic that 14 is double seven, so it almost feels like it's evenly spaced from one another. So you have the stoning of Stephen, and Paul is present. Then you have Paul, but turning around, becoming a Christian. He starts preaching the thing that he hated, and now here in Acts 14 find Paul later on down the road in a place called Lystra, and this was a non-Jewish town. They worshipped idols, um, the the typical Roman gods of the day, and uh, he did what he always did. He went straight to the synagogues. He teaches to the Jews first because they had the Old Testament. They could decipher things from the prophecies. They could uh, debate with him based on Isaiah and Genesis and Exodus in ways that the pagans couldn't then once he got some uh, converts there, he would go to the pagans, and then he would debate with them with uh, Greek philosophy. So you have this event in Lystra where uh, Jews had crucified Stephen before. Now, in a whole new context, there are some people uh, among the the Gentiles who chose to stone him because of what the Jews had chosen to insurrect. What that means is there were plenty of Jewish people who believed what Paul had to say about this Jesus. It says that there were some other Jews who came up from a place called Iconium. and These Jews, as individuals, chose not to believe. But not only did they decide not to believe, they couldn't do it peacefully. Uh, Satan had actually incited them to uh, come up and try to destroy Paul so that his preaching would stop forever. So everything kind of lines up the same way as Stephen does. He preaches, they surround him, they stone him, it says that he dropped, they assumed he was dead, and they dragged him out of the city limits, and they literally literally left him outside the city walls on the streets to die. They just went back into the city, and they went on their merry way. They literally just decided they would go all, go home, pretend like nothing happened, and leave his corpse to rot or be food for the wolves. It actually says that he casually gets up and just walks away. They move on to a new town. So they thought they had taken Paul out. Stephen does something that he couldn't, uh, Paul does something that Stephen couldn't, that was just get up and walk away. There was no vision for Paul in this moment like Stephen had, but Paul had the chance to get up and carry on from this, this task. The reason that these two stories, because to to wrap it up for myself, uh, these two stories, uh, the themes that I'd wrapped them up in, two stonings that went very differently. There are a lot of times for Christians and for non-Christians, anyone who's out there listening right now, regardless of where you're at on that seeker spectrum, what you believe, what you're committed to, we all know what it's like to live in a world that doesn't seem fair. You all know what it's like to look at someone and envy the things that they have, and they, we might not realize the things we have that they envy. So you have two stories orchestrated under the providence of the same God in glory of the same savior and yet these two servants to endure completely different paths stephen's story ends there at least on earth all story keeps going there's so many ways you could speculate about you know god's wisdom why he chose things to end up that way um i will always be okay sharing my opinion as long as i make it clear it's just my opinion it does not say this in scripture but My opinion is that God in his wisdom knew that Stephen's story would shout louder through his death because the church was so young. Paul's ministry had to keep going because he intentionally was meant to travel. If he died too soon then all those other places would have never heard. He was eventually imprisoned and beheaded but not a moment sooner than God ordained. He Mm. protected Paul until the moment it was time. And that opportune time where he could then pass it on to others, then it was time for Paul to go. And so you have these two situations, they're totally, They. I'm, I'm not going to try to explain away the unfairness. They totally are unfair by all accounts. It was all done in God's wisdom because he chose to approach two different situations with two different servants in two different ways. And are we okay with that? If one of us becomes uh, highly degreed in school and the other person has to settle for nothing more than a GED, they be brothers and sisters. Someone has a very high paying job and another person uh, settles for something that's lower middle class. Will we will we be content with one another? Will we con- will we compare things with one another? Will we try to one up one another in the church and in the world? This this story kind of reminds us in a way that, you know, God intends to use us all in our own unique ways. There are things that I'm intended to do Zach is intended to, do that neither one of us can do because our personalities and giftings are different. Even uh, Brian, the things that each of the three of us can do that the others aren't meant to. So just being content and knowing that the same God is going to guide you home at the end of that story, no matter what your story looks like and how your story may compare or different or differ from other people's. But uh, the idea that God has his hand on each story and uses it in separate individual ways. It takes a lot of ma- spiritual maturity sometimes to really accept the story that you've been given, really be learn to be content in the place that you've had. Because, I mean, your chapter is going to be completely different, uh, completely different from the chapter of someone else. Um, Acts 7 and Acts 14 are radically different parts of the story yet they're used in so many different ways for the same goal, all for the glory of Christ alone. And uh, if we put our hearts and eyes on him, other than on ourselves or on our own reputation, on the ministries of our churches or speaking as a minister, uh, heaven forbid it all become about a career in spiritual work, which sounds disgusting to say out loud that, that way, but when it's only truly about him that is when we're we can be comfortable staying in our own lane making it the best that we can without trying to jump into other people's lanes because we feel like they have a bigger stick or the bigger spotlight. It's your brother, Robert.
2: Amen. Good,
0: Good stuff.
2: I don't see it, but I'm raising my hand.
0: Yes. Oh, Ray. He really is. I'll take pictures.
2: <laughs> so, uh, second part of, of what I'm going to talk about is actually it's found in the same chapter Of the Book of Acts, Uh, and for those of you who maybe want to reference uh, the sons of Skeva and all that, that is actually Acts chapter nineteen, and Paul goes to Ephesus. So again, the first part you kind of um, had this uh, seven sons of Skeva, you know, attempt to do an exorcism, and it basically falls flat on their face and they're publicly humiliated. And because of that uh, work of um, basically of what the the demon-possessed person did, kind of like acknowledging Paul and acknowledging Jesus, um, it kind of like basically kind of like set set like the wildfire, so to speak. And so the reaction of people, you had one action that was positive. You had people who practiced magic who might have been like, don't want anything to do with that demon stuff. I mean, who knows what this person was? Was he like? Um, I don't think it actually says what he was doing or anything like that. Other than he was just a demon possessed guy. Maybe he had um, followers. Maybe those people that practiced magic were his followers. No. Um. But they threw away, burned all their uh, magical texts. Um. And said. Nope, we're gonna follow. We're gonna follow Jesus and Paul. Um, And then the other half of that, um, there was a guy by the name of Demetrius, Um, and Demetrius was a silversmith. And if you imagine that, you know, these people who sacrificed the magic, you know, threw it all away, so to speak. This is a guy who instead of throwing it all away, kind of like counted the cost and realized this is my livelihood. And not only is it my livelihood, but it's also my associate's livelihood uh, because as a silversmith, one of the things that he created or one of some of the things that he made was silver idols or silver shrines to Artemis, which was a uh, a a pagan deity that the people of Ephesus believed in. Um, And so he was making money off of this um, deity by, you know, creating these shrines or what have you. And so whenever he looks out and he hears about all these people who are throwing away magic, throwing away their former lives, he goes, wait, if there's... 100,000 people here, or let's just say that, and 50,000 of them give up magic, give up this, and they destroy their own shrines or whatever, what have you, that means I'm I'm out of customers. I've at least lost half my customer base or, you know, Atreus and other silversmiths and things like that. So what does this cat do, do He goes to the other cats, the other um, silversmiths, so to speak, and goes, hey, um, we're losing our income. We're losing our livelihood. And not only is our livelihood at stake, but so is the uh, temple of Artemis. And so he kind of like in a way sparks a riot because at that place in Ephesus, there was a huge temple to Artemis. And it was like, I'm not sure if it was a wonder of the world or not, but it was a very, very, very important destination in Ephesus. And um, so it was kind of like, in a way, he kind of piggybacked on, like, oh, they're destroying our heritage. They're destroying, you know, if they keep on going this route, not only will they Give up practicing magic. Not only will they destroy our livelihoods as silversmiths because they won't, want, they don't want shrines anymore, but they're also trying to desecrate um, Artem- Artemis, Artemis's temple, or so to speak. And so he basically instituted a riot. And in that day and time in Rome, riots were not a good thing. When riots happened. Rome took special notice and they would squash it quickly, and it was very brutal and very deadly, and a lot of people were injured when those things took place. So what happened was so you had Demetrius come and basically institute a riot and and then basically the town, I guess you could say, governor was like, whoa. You guys are causing a riot. You need to you need to table this. You need to put this down. You need to stop. And you need to quit this uh riot, so to speak, because if you don't, the Romans are going to come and we all know what happens when the Romans show up. When the Romans show up, it's going to be bad. So, again, you see a a different response to the gospel and to the things of God when some some hear the gospel and it, it will change their life, and they will give up the things of their former life in a heartbeat because nothing matters more than their relationship with God. Oh, you want me to choose between this idol over here or God? I'll I'll take God. Forget this idol. This idol means nothing to me. It's worthless. It's, even though it might have been made of pure silver— were willing to cast it aside they were willing to cast away their magic and burn it then you have this other guy uh, who had invested interest in seeing uh, that society remain the way it was and basically incited a riot and and if honestly if it would have caught the Romans attention it would have been very bad for that people Uh, He didn't care about the people. He cared about his livelihood. He didn't care about, really, at the end of the day, he didn't even care about uh, the Temple of Artemis. It was only about his income, his way of life. He wasn't willing to sacrifice his way of life to see that there might be something better out there. And, And I think that's a parallel to this day. I mean, you have some people that will... Hear about hear the gospel, and man, they will sacrifice. They will give up anything and everything under the sun. And then you have other mm. people. Yeah, yeah. Then you have other people who. Oh well, if God, if I, if I became a Christian, I might have to be honest. If I'm <laughs> honest, that means I might have to disclose like that I've been lying and my taxes or you know whatever. And so because of the the uh, financial impact it might have on their life. They go, nope, sorry, can't. I can't give this up. I can't stop doing this. I can't um, sacrifice this. And so they'll hold on to it, realizing truly really in the end, what you have is, um, is is nothing is meaningless if you hold on to this career or this what have you. This for Demetrius it was silversmithing I mean if you would have been willing to give that up I could have done miraculous things to that man's life instead he chose the path of destruction he chose instead to be a plague on his own people and almost had the Romans brought in and, and practically killed a lot of people
0: I tell you it, it definitely was um divine intervention from God himself that the Christian church was able to survive that time. Like, it's just crazy. Everything that went on, um, to get kind of the word out and, and to spread Christianity. It's, it's absolutely just mind blowing.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, excuse me. I apologize. Uh,
0: I mean, you have,
2: you have elders, you have, um, Sanhedrin, which you know we mentioned them <laughs> last week they were they were the people that literally got the Romans to crucify Jesus. I mean those were the governing people in Jerusalem, you know in the temple. I mean, you have them, you have the Pharisees, you had this guy Demetrius, you had all these people, and even later on you had emperors like Charges against Christianity. I mean, a, a great case is Nero. I mean, this is within the first century. You have Nero who allowed a major, a, a very large portion of Rome to be destroyed, and his scapegoat was the Christians. I mean, <laughs> if God's hand wasn't on that, I mean, on, and protecting those people and, and spreading the gospel, then you know, it's like man. But what what could have happened?
1: Uh, I remember a quote by someone that, you know, the, how did he put it? The seed of the church was the blood of the martyrs. Just thinking about, you know, the sacrifices that were made, um, the I mean, social sacrifices, physical sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices, and... Mm-hmm. It's been said, it's been mentioned already, but just the fact that they had absolutely nothing to gain whatsoever, they had everything to lose instead. They were trying to glorify somebody who by all accounts just wasn't around anymore. Now it's the the text says that he was around, but you know, according to the world, they all thought he was gone. So they had no reason to, to pay such high prices for absolutely nothing that was going to give in to them. And uh I probably said this in the first episode when we shared our personal testimonies, but that's the thing that convinced me personally that this had to be true. <clears throat> just the fact that, you know, they gave up everything for nothing. I mean, they it, it tells you that they had to have seen something. And just the the way it started out just so that was all it was. It was this testimony that they had personally seen the risen Jesus back from the grave. And that alone gave them the strength to endure the strictest, most powerful government in the history of the world up till that point. Uh, They tried, I mean, the most powerful men who ever lived, people who could get away with literally anything at all were trying to uh, chase down these people, these underdogs, these nobodies, these outcasts, uh, practically peasants in the eyes of the world. And yet they were able to cling to their book, to their faith, uh, what they truly believed in and the people who paid that price they, uh, all, every last one of us who are modern day believers who have the bible on our phones for free in countless different versions we all have them to think we're literally cutting their own lives short just so that we would have it in our hands
2: yeah i mean think of i mean not to not to really go into that because that's uh, for a later episode i mean Even people who were willing to just to have the Bible in the common language so that, you know, anybody who knew how to read could open up the Bible and read it for themselves and hear God's word, you know, and understand it. I mean, I mean, I mean, even to this day, people are dying because of it, because they're. Wanting to remain faithful to God's word, I mean, you know, us in the West, we are very blessed. I mean, even if you want to call it post-Christian era that we have, you know, where people don't really know what Christianity is, still, even in that, even in that uh, vein of people not understanding it, not caring about it, and what have you, they're not going to necessarily kill you because. Christian in the West at least not yet I mean it might be coming it's not here yet
1: yeah and sadly we'll stop attending to poke at the modern world in comparison we will stop attending simply because we didn't like the color of the hallways the walls in the hall will make us decide that we would rather try another church and really, that was, I mean, honestly, that was all they really wanted in their lifetime was just the chance to go to a church that openly, not have to worry about literally dying for it. But, uh,
0: oh, no, I absolutely can confirm that um, my old church when I was younger, I remember there were heated, like friendships ended and people left our church because they wanted to replace the carpets in the sanctuary and they couldn't oh. agree on the color of the carpets. Oh, great. Okay. Like, <laughs> it's it's, not, about about no. <laughs> it's yeah. not about the gospel. It's not about the gospel. No. Oh, no, but one thing you mentioned uh, just a minute ago, talking about um, uh, the Bible like being accessible to many people, the Bible app on my phone, I just looked it up right now. As of, as of right now of this recording, the Bible app on the phone is available in 1,819 different languages that it's been translated to. That's yeah. mind blowing. <laughs> absolutely
1: it is i didn't even realize
2: there's that many languages out there I right mean, i mean <laughs> it's yeah. like i mean that's I that's d- insane
0: if if you gave me an hour and you told me to come up with 20 languages off the top of my head i doubt i could do it
2: yeah i mean um, so I, I i concur
0: much less I mean, it's like 100
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like, I could see, like, regional dialects or something like that, Mm -hmm. especially, like, in South America with all the different countries there, but, like, even then, I I was, I mean, I don't know, I mean, so maybe there are multiple languages in South America that I'm ignorant of, Lord help me, forgive me if that's the case, listeners, and are able to, like, well, really, you don't know about all these other languages? no, no. I'm a lazy American. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm. I will say that I'm ignorant of other languages. I, you
0: uncultured swine. Um, yes. Kind
2: of... <laughs> yes. Yeah, I do remember. I do remember elementary school. We had to have some Spanish in elementary school, but whenever I got to high school, dipped out of languages. Even though you're supposed to have one to to graduate, I slipped through. Slipped through that one. <laughs>
1: I had an awkward French class. I, I just need to throw that out there. I don't know why. It makes me feel better. The teacher turned out the lights and had us try to say French back and forth with a couple of hand puppets, and I didn't retain any of that. Why None would you retain any of that? If I did, I'd probably have to be afraid of my, for my own sanity, to be honest. <laughs> that, that in <laughs> itself is frightening.
2: <laughs> okay, kids, we're going to learn a different language, but I'm going to turn out the lights... In my head, in high school, that was a sign of it was nap time. And, oh, no. and then bring out puppets. Like <laughs> I, I think you've missed the mark here on how to talk to teenagers. <laughs> puppets is in the way to do it. No,
1: And I mean, you would lose points for talking to her. She said, "No, not me. You talk to the puppet. It's like, seriously. Yeah, you had to make eye contact with it with his little button eyes. That's
2: uh, <laughs> That might be an example of bad teaching i'm glad i Maybe. slept through high
1: school no name dropping if you, if you hear this you know who you are
0: <laughs> uh, oh goodness so how did oh. we get here from uh, <laughs> s- <laughs> martyrs so
2: we're talking about martyrs now we're talking about we're talking about now we're talking about high school classes um, good night we God. don't need to talk about
1: high school anymore no <laughs> Oh gosh! Oh boy, But to reel that back in to the <laughs> point of everything, Amen. Uh, yes. The idea that you could hear those stories and and anyone who tries to deny that the stories are true, I mean, the greatest evidence you have is the fact that we're here talking about this right now. Uh, we have survived all of this in order to infiltrate the modern world. We're still still here. And uh, we have absolutely no right to be. So looking at that, just seeing the fact that we're not supposed to be here, but here we are. I mean, anybody has got to, if they're willing to accept the possibility at all, there's no way around it. Except whether it, none of it happened, then you have no way to explain the present reality. Or you've got to give all credit to something supernatural says the spirit of god moved them and worked in them and and used them to soften hearts he protected them when he had to protect them and he gave them up when he had to give them up to make sure that the message would have the ultimate impact trying to to infiltrate the empire they didn't see any real progress in the public eye for three centuries then 300 years after paul uh, after jesus after paul after Stephen, after all their contemporaries, that is when they finally saw Christianity become legalized. Then, I mean, the big blessing was you could actually be a Christian and have the right to stay alive for it. And, I mean, that was a huge, huge goal, a huge step in the right direction just to ensure the continued spread of the gospel. That very first generation who made that possible, who got Rome to that point, They deserve all. They're sinners like us, but they deserve all honor and praise for the faith that they showed. Mostly, I—I mean, I'm a comfortable first-world church pastor. I shudder to think where how far I may or may not have gotten if I had been in the same situation. I can't pretend that I would ever, ever be—you know—as bold as them. Mm. I mean, you've got to put yourself in their shoes in order to really be able to talk that talk
2: and be willing to lose it all. I think that's something. In, in our society as we move forward into this this um society where it's like if you you know don't follow xyz then you're ousted, you're canceled or what have you and then all of a sudden, you know, all you know, you have to give up all this stuff that you had or whatever. All this influence that you had just because of a different view that you hold or what have you. Um and I, I mean in ourselves is like you look at the potential of that happening is terrifying at the same time it's like if if it comes down to it you know will will you go with the flow just a silent kind of like what lot did just kind of let them do what they wanted to do and and then when it came down to it you had to finally take a stand or, you know, or did you take a stand and never go there to begin with? Like Abraham, you know, just kind of throw out some people you don't know. They're in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Abraham and Lot. One of them chose to live in a, close to a, a city, and the other one chose not to, and some hardships because of that. Mm-hmm. So keep it simple and PG.
1: Let's not keep it PG. Well, yeah, we don't have Let's let, Let's amp it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there
2: was Sodom and Gomorrah that was destroyed
1: because of a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> nope, nope. Give them details. Tell them everything that was going
0: on.
2: Uh, Well, there were men that were randomly and passionately raping other men in public squares. So, yes, that was a terrible thing that was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. uh,
1: Only pales in comparison to...
2: You keep on telling me to I'm tell this I'm just how
1: long you'll actually go before you rebuke me for it. <laughs> Get behind you, Satan. All right, how about that? <laughs> oh, man, that's great.
2: You're editing uh, this out, right? Dot, dot, dot. Hint, hint, dot, nudge.
1: discretion. He has my uh... anything. Anything <laughs> stupid I say, canon will be used, even if I have to pull it out. And pull it <laughs>
2: Jeez. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. My bad. Just understand, uh, I've known Robert for like 12 years, and we have a very, very, uh very unique dynamic. Unique is the way to put it. Yes, Amen. In Jesus' name, it's that's very. Unique. That's when
1: off podcast was launched. Bible study after dark. It's like, how in the world does that even work? anyway the kids out of the room were getting we're about to go old
2: testament oh you (laughs) know about david and goliath do you well let me tell you
0: (laughs) yeah uh thanks robert and zach uh that was um always love learning more about the early church and especially acts and and some of the martyrs um, that came out of the new testament uh what do we have coming up on our next episode
2: on the next episode, we will be diving into the topic of is, Does Christianity promote Illiterate and Narrow-Minded oh. Thinking?
0: Oh, interesting. That's not going to be controversial at all, I'm sure.
2: Not at all. <laughs> dot, dot, dot.
0: Bum, bum, bum. All right. Well, everybody, uh, definitely, uh, listen to our next episode coming up. Um, that's going to be a very interesting topic. So thank you all for listening and, uh, we'll be with you next time. So
2: bye everyone. Bye. So long.